going to talk about test number nine tonight. And we've taught on this so much, I don't really think I have to spend an inordinate amount of time on this area. Although, I'll tell you what I am amazed at. Several weeks ago, in fact, it might have actually it might have been almost a month and a half ago, we were doing an Ironman event, and I've been showing the guys who've been coming on uh, that Tuesday, once a month Tuesday, uh, some video clips from a guy by the name of Scott Rigsby. And uh, I showed, I think, one time here uh, with the congregation, but Scott Rigsby was a double amputee. He had both of his legs cut off right at the knees. And uh, he was in an automobile accident. He was hit by a truck driver. I don't know the circumstances of the truck driver, um, whether he was impaired in any way, I, I don't know. I, I just know that in order for him to live, they had to cut both of his legs off at the knees. And, and there are about six different video vignettes that he has created that deal with all sorts of things that he had to wrestle through with God in order to become a whole person again. In fact, he even says that despite the fact that physically he's not whole because he's lost his two legs, it was through that accident and losing his legs that he finally became whole. And one of the things that he talked about was forgiveness. And so about a month and a half ago or so, I was visiting with the guys again on that Tuesday night about forgiveness and, and what it means to walk in forgiveness and to demonstrate forgiveness. And, you know, we deal with this almost, well, we do, we deal with it at every encounter that we have. And most of you have been through encounter. If not, there's one coming up in April and you need to sign up and be there because it'll absolutely change your life. But uh, I shared with them, and I thought for a moment how redundant this may be because I was looking at the group of guys that were there, and, and, and most, if not all of them, had been through encounters, so I know they'd heard these precepts. But we'd gotten through it all, and as we got through it all, I wanted to pray for them and just minister for just a moment before they left. And I don't know why, I, I should have known this, but I just asked how many of you are dealing with a forgiveness issue even now? I mean, it's fresh. It's not something we're having to dredge up, dig up, go back, you know, to when you were five years old and you were in kindergarten and the little kid that was your playmate took your rubber ducky from you or something. I mean, we're talking just, it's just, it's a fresh deal. And do you know, it, 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 I, I think it was 100%. If not, it was so close, it, it was a hand or two that I just didn't catch. And it just struck me again that you could preach on forgiveness every month. Take one Sunday a month and just teach on forgiveness and it would be fresh. Maybe weekly. <laughs> it, it would be fresh. Because, man, you want to talk about just living life and constantly being confronted with issues of forgiveness. Now, I want to share something with you. It's not on my notes, but you can write it off to the side. And it's this, that's, that most of the time when we're dealing with issues of forgiveness, is it not true, we're dealing with an offense that we feel like has been wrought against us and we're hurt. We're wounded, we're hurt, our feelings are hurt. And, and so we're having to forgive. And indeed, a lot of that has happened. I just want to help you here for just a moment and help you understand that there are times you have been the perpetrator. I, has, I know no one can ever believe that because you're saying there ain't no way I've ever been the perpetrator. Oh, you don't know. You don't know. So, so forgiveness remembers a two-way street. We've got to do our part in as much as it is possible, because some people wear their feelings on their shirt sleeves and you just look at them and they're going to be offended at something. Um, but, but truth of the matter is, is that we've got to do our part in as much as it is possible, the Scripture says, to be at peace with all men, 
to not try to be offensive, uh, even though I'm sure accidentally all of us have. Um, but at the same time, we have to be benevolent and understand that if we want uh, to receive forgiveness from God, that we're going to have to learn how to be forgiving people. So I, I want to talk about that tonight, the forgiveness test. There's so many things in this area. But I wanted to talk about it particularly in light of our whole series, which we talked about uh, how to get to destiny, how to turn a dream to destiny, how to get to your future. And can I just share this with you, that God is not going to bring you to whatever your future is if you're walking in unforgiveness. He will cut off your destiny if you're walking in offense or bitterness or unforgiveness. Now, you can wrestle with that. You, you, can, you, can, you can internally say, ah, pastor, yeah. And you, can, and you can say that, but I'm telling you, I'm going to read it to you here in God's word. He will not let a person move into their destiny or into his promises carrying an offense, unforgiveness, or bitterness. Now, I want to read to you a passage of scripture here quickly in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Listen to this. Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people, I just mentioned that, and holiness. We don't hear much of that, but we we are to pursue that too. Without which no one will see the Lord. Wow. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Listen, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Isn't that interesting? Your bitterness will cause you trouble. Right now you enjoy it, but it will cause you trouble, the word says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, and we're going to talk about Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, sold his destiny, sold his promise. Now we know the story, I'm going to mention the story to you here about Esau, But later, he wanted to inherit it again. But truth of the matter, the Bible says he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And if you want to keep your fingers in about Genesis 25 through 27, I'm going to mention a couple of things in here about the life of Esau. We teach on Jacob, but we don't hear much about Esau. And so I just want to mention a couple of things. Now, an inheritance in the Bible, I believe, is synonymous with a promise or a destiny or something that is awaiting you. And uh, whenever I think of an inheritance, I think of a windfall that I'm going to get from some, you know, relative that's fixing to go on. And we don't want them to go on early, but we know when they go on, there's an inheritance. And we all want to receive that, and uh, an inheritance can be a surprise thing. Sometimes you know it's something that's coming. But have you ever met a person, and I'm sure we all have, have you ever met a person who lost their inheritance? I mean, sometimes it's uh, been by, you know, you've irritated whoever the benefactor is, and, you know, they wrote the person out of the will. They just got mad and wrote you out of the will. Uh, I had uh, a granddad, uh, as well as an aunt, uh, that passed along some money. It wasn't a lot. It was unexpected. I, I had not expected anything to come my direction. But it, but it was a nice little sum of money. And, um, you know, we obviously, uh, because we were enlarged, the Lord received uh, his tithe. And, and there were other things that we gave to out of that inheritance. We also were able to use it to pay some bills and, 
And I think at the time we got it, it helped send kids to school and all the things that you do with it. But you know what? It's gone. 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 Well, the Bible tells us here about Esau that he was in line for an inheritance, but he too had lost it. Now listen to me. All of us here, if we know Jesus, we have an inheritance. In fact, in Ephesians 1.11, I'm just throwing these out if you want to write them down. can't read them to you real, real fast. I'll just let you write them down. Ephesians 1.11, Colossians 1.12, Hebrews 11.8. These are just some verses that tell us that we have an inheritance. We have a problem, but uh, a, a promise. But our problem is, is that for so many of us, we lose it. Now, here we get to the story of, of Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. Esau, as you will recall, was one of the twins that uh, came into the house of Isaac. His twin brother was Jacob. Uh, they did not look anything alike. What, I don't know the difference between paternal and fraternal. I mean, what's, what's the lookalikes? Identical. All right, you don't know either, so we'll just go on. They didn't look alike. They were not lookalike twins. One was red-haired. And as he grew up, he was as hairy as a bear. And the other one was, was apparently slick as a cat. All right, I hadn't, I've never heard that, but there you go. Anyway, but we know the story that when they were born, Esau uh, came out first. And, and the story tells us that Joseph was clinging to his heel. And, and from that, we, we find that Jacob is always striving. He's always, he's always trying to supplant. In fact, his name means supplanter. Um, but it's interesting because whenever you think of all the patriarchs and whenever you think about their households, I, this is how I think. I think that if you made it into the Bible, you must have had a pretty good household, generally speaking. Do you know, do you know how many people were just messed up? Dysfunctional? Crazy? Whew, makes my house look great. Here's the household of Isaac. Listen to this. Verse chapter 25, Genesis 25, verse 28, it says this. It says, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, can you just see in that verse we got a problem? You got dad loving one and you got mom loving the other. In fact, can I suggest to you based on that verse that Isaac loved Esau for what Esau could do? Are you following me? I mean, Esau was a hunter. I mean, Esau could bring in the food. Dad said, we always eat well when Esau goes hunting. Now, Rebecca, the Bible says, just plain loved Joseph. Now, Jacob, excuse me, Jacob. So, so I don't, so there's automatically going to be a, a father wound probably in Jacob. And there's automatically going to be a performance issue probably going on in Esau. And I believe that long before we read the account of Esau selling his birthright, I believe Esau was already wrestling internally with some things with regards to his relationship to his dad. I believe Esau felt like he had to perform for his love and his affirmation. He never heard his dad say good job unless he brought home game because Esau loved to eat, or, or, or Isaac loved to eat. Don't you wish they just called him Ron and Bob and George? I mean, good grief. Anyway, Isaac, Isaac loved to have Esau bring the meat in. 
But the fact of the matter is, is that when you're under a performance mentality like Esau was, do you realize at any moment that you didn't get the deer or you didn't, you didn't make the shot and you have to come home empty-handed? Can you imagine the rejection? Can you imagine what a dad could possibly do in a scenario like that? In fact, we are told in that same chapter, verse 34, it said that Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He actually sold off his birthright to his brother in order to feed his stomach. Esau, I suspect, didn't really like who he was. I believe it was easy for him to do this because he said, what does it matter anyway? I can't measure up. I'm not going to live up to dad anyway. Why would I want his birthright? He's never affirmed me unless I've hunted well, so why would I ever expect him to lay hands on me just out of benevolence and transfer to me the blessing? And so uh, he had to perform. And because of that, the Bible tells us in chapter 26, verses 34 and 35, It says here that when Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, what happened was is that Esau started marrying heathen women. He's bringing home unsaved she-devils. Their skirts were up to there and their blouses were down to there. Mom and dad looked at it and said, that's not what we're about. And so they were, they were upset about this. In, in all reality, though, they were upset because they represented bringing in foreign gods and foreign ways, and he was being unequally yoked. And the Hebrew writer tells us exactly what's going on. He says that there was a root of bitterness that was going on in Esau. Now listen to me. Bitterness. Bitterness makes you angry. It causes you not to think right or act right. Bitterness will cause you to make decisions that aren't good. When you get bitter at a situation, you'll make a decision that's actually a reaction due to the bitterness into another even worse situation. Esau sells his future for some food. The Hebrew writer takes it to the next level because we kind of look at that and we we might kind of blow it off by saying, well, so what? He went to the buffet. He sold his future for a buffet. But it's as if the Hebrew writer says it was as if he jumped into bed with foreign women, which he did, and, and he committed sexual sin. And he said, it's selling of your future. And it all stemmed because there was this bitterness that was working inside of him. Esau gets angry, and it's interesting, as he works out of all of this anger, later he wants, when he figures out what's going on and how it's all shaken and Jacob gets the blessing, he wants to murder his brother. How many of you know that's dysfunctional? It doesn't matter if he got more in the will than you did. Murder is not the answer to that. And you might say, well, Jacob, he was a conniver, he was a deceiver. Well, that's true, but, you know, the repercussion has to fit the crime. And so Esau loses it all. He loses his inheritance because I believe, listen, I believe he never dealt with the offense. He never dealt with bitterness. He never, he never was able to come to the place of forgiveness. And the ultimate outcome of these things is that it will lead you down a road that will cause you to lose your inheritance, lose your destiny, and lose your future. I want you to listen to a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 29. I believe it's in your notes. Listen to this. This is, this is an amazing 
several verses. Deuteronomy 29, beginning with verse 19. Listen to what the Lord says. I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone. So he's talking to the Israelites there. But with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. How many of you know I wasn't there and you weren't there? But if we're in covenant with God, we're there. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, and that we came through the nations which you passed by, and you saw their abominations, their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold. Then he says, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root-bearing bitterness. Wow. Now, you need to meditate on that for just a minute. God says this, as they're standing on the brink of going into their promised land, he said, I'm going to talk to you here just a minute. There is not to be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. So what he's saying there is this. He's saying, you may fool everyone else. You may fool people when you're smiling and going, I'm okay. You know, have you ever been around someone and go, what's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm okay. Well, no, I can, I can tell you're not okay. I'm okay. Well, is it because of that? No, I don't even think about that anymore. Oh. What God is saying is this. You can play the game, but you can't hide your heart. You can't hide your heart. And he says, a bitter person who says they are okay is no better than the alcoholic who says he's sober. Wow. See, we have bitter people by the thousands in our churches who are smiling and saying, I have peace, I'm okay, it's over. And they are just like the alcoholic who refuses to go to rehab. That's what we need. We need, we need bitterness rehab. I mean, really, a church could start bitterness rehab, just like alcoholic rehab. And, uh, you know, people who refuse to go because of their drug addictions or the alcohol addictions and, and because they refuse to deal with it. In fact, there's even a TV show, is there not? Intervention. And they're dealing with people who are sitting there on the floor wearing their last pair of clothes, have no money to their name, haven't eaten in a month, and they're snorting their coke, and their family's looking at them saying, you got a problem, and they're going, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. And so that's how it sometimes looks. So bitterness will cause you to lose your problem as quickly as drunkenness, adultery, fornication, and idolatry. Now, in these last moments I have with you, I'm going to go down a list here of things that I just want to share with you about how to not lose your inheritance. How many of you want to get into a promise? I want, I want to be in a promise. And can I just share with you, I mean, if we all told our stories about offense or hurt or woundedness, all of our stories are important, and I've said this before, because they're our stories. And we all feel like we've been done wrong the most. And, and maybe yours is incredibly challenging or difficult. But truth of the matter is, is that I, you know what, I want my promise more than I want to wallow in that circumstance. I really do. I really want the promise of God. But, you know, God doesn't just come and just, and, and, and just sovereignly release you from issues. You have, you have to participate in your deliverance. 
You know, you can't get rid of a devil unless you want him to be gone. You know, it's, it's back to that same side. We want God to do things in our life without pursuing him. I know that's what your conference is about. You've got to pursue him if you want him to have something. But if you, if you want the devil out of your life, the Bible says resist the devil and what? He will flee. Well, you see, if you don't want to resist him, he ain't going nowhere. So we, we've, got, we've got to be a participant in this thing. So I'm going to go down this, and we're going to hit the high level, and I believe you can make application. Number one, you've got to stop excusing or rationalizing your bitterness away. You got to stop rationalizing or excusing your bitterness away. If, if you've got it, just acknowledge it. <laughs> Chances are everyone else knows you got it already. All right. So there, you know, you're probably the last one to be able to acknowledge it's there. And I'm telling you, it is so easy to do because we don't want to somehow seem less than Christian. And, and so we, we, we practice forgiveness. We want to be magnanimous. We want to, we want to cut people some slack, but truth of the matter is, if it's hit our heart, it starts with getting under the light. I talked with the guys last time. This was our lesson, 1 John 1, 9. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, his blood will cleanse us. If you don't get something in the light, it can't get cleansed. See, we want God to do something while we stay in the dark. And you got to get it under the light. And you get it under the light by just, first off, before him, saying, I believe out loud, Lord, I'm bitter. And I'm angry and I'm upset and it's not right, it's unjust, it's unfair, and I, I admit it. I admit it. I'm not snowing you, I admit it. And I want you to know right now that God's going, good. We can work with it now. We can, we can deal with it in your life. So you gotta, number one, you gotta stop excusing. Number two, I think you need to pinpoint the actions that have hurt you. Sometimes when we manifest our emotions in this area, it is not the event that we're in oftentimes, at least I have found in my life. A lot of times there'll be things and all of a sudden I find myself either irritated or angry or something. And you know what? When you, when you begin to look at it, it's really not the incident you're in. It's the root of something that you had going on before. There, there's, you know, the old saying, the straw that broke the camel's back. There, that really has, you know, some of these old sayings, it's too bad they aren't in the Bible because there's, there's some truth to some of them. Because for a lot of people, they will, they will begin to accrue straws until finally there is that one. And when that one drops, their response, because of their bitterness, is disproportional to the straw that got dropped on them. Have you ever watched that? You're like going, whoa, wait a minute, man. This is just a little thing, and your reaction is like off the chart. Well, it's not that little thing. It's, it's the, the accruing of all those straws. And I think it's really important that if you know it's in there, you got to begin to pinpoint some of the actions that have hurt you because unless you get to the root of it, you'll never weed it out. You've heard us teach this. You've got to get to your yard, stick the whatever the dandelion Hop, yeah, you stick it in there, that thing, and you got to get it to the root and pop that thing out. Because if you just cut the head off, I'm going to even know next week when you're mowing the lawn, it's nice and yellow looking at you, saying, I'm still here. Well, that's what's happening in your heart as well. So oftentimes you need to evaluate your childhood, evaluate your high school years, evaluate what happened in college, evaluate relationships that went wrong, evaluate mom and dad. Hey, you know, we all love our parents. All right. We'll just stipulate that everybody loves mom and dad. But the truth of the matter is mom and dad didn't get a manual when they were raising you and you didn't get one when you finally got your kids. And all of us just need to fess up and say we could have done some things better as parents.
Now, hopefully, we're, we're learning and we're not doing as much damage as has been done in years past or generations past. But the point being is, is you got to be honest. If if mom or dad did something wrong, you got to. I'm not saying you go confront them right away, but I'm saying you got to acknowledge the fact that that wasn't good. You see, Esau would have gotten better if he could have just understood Isaac wasn't functioning right. Can you imagine how hard that would have been, though, to be able to say, a patriarch isn't doing me right? I mean, this is Abraham, Isaac. And you see, God wanted it to be Esau. But it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But do you realize how hard that would have been? I mean, these are the top three. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and and you're, and you're, and you're growing up in the house going, this dude, this dude is like God's guy. I mean, surely he couldn't be doing me wrong, but yes, he was, because he was born under the same curse the rest of us were. But, but if he would have just begun to acknowledge that, the outcome may have been different. Number three, you gotta confess your bitterness as sin. You know why we don't confess it as sin? It's because we think we're justified in feeling that way. Sin, I'm justified in feeling the way I'm feeling. I was the one that was done wrong. I was the one that was hurt. I was the one that was wounded. you got to be kidding me. It's them that's the problem. They ought to be the one. They ought to come to me and grovel at my feet and just pray it's a good day that I would forgive them. We can't, I'm just telling you, the reason bitterness isn't confessed as sin is because we don't think really it is sin. You're no more justified in keeping your bitterness than you are justified, according to the Scripture, in keeping your drunk or keeping your adultery. I, I mean, I mean if, 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 that's, if this is how it worked, then if the teacher, when you were in third grade, did you wrong, and you went, when you became an adult, tracked him down and shot him because you carried a grudge, then you shouldn't have to go to prison. But how many of you know that feeling or that action is sin, despite what the teacher did? See, once you see that bitterness is sin, then the cross can deal with it. Here's our problem. Because you never define it as sin, this cross can't deal with it. Because this deals with sin. It doesn't deal with your feelings of justifiable irritation. Well, you're right. I probably shouldn't live with this justifiable irritation. And well, why doesn't it ever go away? Because the cross doesn't cleanse justifiable irritation. It cleanses sin. Are you following me? It's interesting that Moses, right after the Red Sea, in fact, it's in Exodus 15, verses 22 through 24, takes the people, this is right after the Red Sea, takes the people to a place called Merah, and there was bitter water there. And the people were complaining. They were, you know, they complained over everything. They finally get out of chains and now they come to a stream that doesn't taste the way they want it. They wanted Perrier and they got Densani or whatever that's called. And they're going, Moses, it's bitter. E, bitter water. So what does Moses do? The Bible says he throws a tree in the water and it makes it sweet. You need the tree thrown into your heart to make it sweet again. Renounce your bitterness as you would drunkenness. It is stealing your future. It is killing your relationships. It's destroying your hope. Number four, got to hurry. Begin to imagine life as it could be without this grudge. Get a vision of your future, grudge-free. 
Some people can't even imagine themselves just being grudge-free. Number five, replace angry thoughts about their badness with words of blessing. In 1 Peter 3 and 9, 1 Peter 3 and 9, can I run this down or can you run it down fast for me? 1 Peter 3 and 9, I got it. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you might inherit a blessing. So you may not feel like blessing them. You know, there have been people in my life, I do not feel like blessing. (laughs) I I, I feel like laying hands on them, but I don't feel like (laughs) blessing them. But, But you know what? Here's the deal. I'm not going to lose my future over that person, over a grudge. Number six, spend time praying about compassion. Jesus said things like this. You got to remember, this is our Lord. He said, turn the other cheek, go the second mile, give to him who wants to borrow, the coat also. These things were said expecting that you were going to face situations that would demand that. Do you understand? That's why Jesus taught it. Because he, he knew in his disciples they were going to face situations where they were going to be presumed upon unfairness, injustice, all the things that would come their way. And he's looking at them and he's saying, guys, you're going to have to get this, that there are going to be moments you're going to get hit and it's not right and you're going to have to turn the other cheek. You're going to have to take off your coat. You're going to have to go the extra mile and you're going to have to do these things. So if you find it hard for you to do these things, then we got to spend some time praying about compassion and what it means to be Christ-like. Number seven, got to hurry. Understand or to empathize with the offender's history without condoning their actions. This, is, this has probably helped me more than any singular thing. You've heard it said that hurt people, what? Hurt people. And you know, I, I understand there are just some plain old evil people in the earth and, and they're going to do wrong and we understand that. But you know what? I'm finding that a lot of people do what they do because they're just hurt. And they're wounded and they don't recognize it or they don't want to deal with it. And somehow or another, if you can just begin to get the eyes of what is in their heart. I'm not justifying what they're doing or condoning their actions. But when you can see hurt in other people, it at least gives you perspective. That's what God had to do. Do you understand that God enfleshed himself in Jesus He incarnated himself. That's the key to the incarnation is that when God stepped down and enfleshed himself in the form of Jesus Christ, he wanted to step into our skin. So, and and people argue this with me all the time because they think I'm teaching some sort of, you know, uh, 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 theology that's weird. But the truth of the matter is God, I believe God knows everything, but he did not feel of our infirmities until he enfleshed himself in Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? I don't think he ever felt the sting of a whip until he enfleshed himself. You can't whip a spirit. So you're following me. So even God, in order, in order to redeem us, had to under, really had to come to some un, a different type of understanding. I, I don't know that I'm, I'm probably in heresy right now. So turn me in. Let the heresy cops come get me, I guess. I don't know. Number eight, make a commitment to not pass on your grudge. Don't we always feel better if we can get a crowd to validate our offense? Do you know why the Jews and the Arabs have fought each other now for thousands of years? 
It's, 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 it's because they pass on their grudges to their kids. The Jews and the Arabs are like the Hatfields and the McCoys. It was a famous feud for years because they just keep passing it down. And you know what? What's interesting about the South, I have found now that I've lived here, I've lived in the South over 20 years and lived in Charleston 13 years now. What's interesting to me, it's just from an observer, and I will never be a Charlestonian. I know that I will never be able to crack into that group. I will never, I will never be a true Southerner, I understand that, you know, I was born still north of Mason-Dixon lines and things like that. I understand all of that. So I, but, so I may not ever be one, but I am a great observer. And I can tell you this right now, that the South and in Charleston, despite being the most friendly city in the world, we are filled with offenses and bitternesses, whites and blacks, South and North, Yankees and the you know, the other kind of Yankees and, and you, you know, I mean, it's just, we're filled with it. And we're not doing our kids any favors by passing along our grudges, whatever they may be. Number nine, ask the Holy Spirit to guard your mind to not pick up the grudge again. You know what? When you let go of things and you let go of your grudges and your offenses and your bitternesses, you, I have found you got to do things daily for a while. In fact, isn't that Cynthia Heal thing? Doesn't she say you've got to do things over and over again in order to Caroline Leaf? All right. Well, what Caroline Leaf, but you knew we were on the same page though. See, we were reading my spirit there. Um, but isn't that what she says that, that it just, it, you have to, you have to speak it, speak it, speak it, speak it. And eventually it'll lay hold. So you need to say, Holy Spirit, I'm just working through this today. I need your help in this area. I choose to forgive again. I choose to let it go again. Number 10, and remind yourself continually that your inheritance or your future is at stake. Is a grudge really worth your future? What God has for you? Your deliverance, your financial blessing, your peace, your joy? I, you know, I've just decided that my grudge isn't worth that anymore. And I'm going to end with this. I came back from Baton Rouge, and I had a lot of things that the Lord was doing inside of me. It was a conference that every meeting I went to, there wasn't a weak word in any session. And it seemed like every single one, man, it was just God was downloading stuff in me. And one of the things that I had to do when I came home, and I got I to gotta speak this in kind of a clandestine way, but, but another layer of the onion got peeled off, and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to have to sit down, I'm going to have to write another letter because I, I'll probably never run into this person, but I just need to write a letter and just ask their forgiveness. And, and if you don't know how to do this, make sure you do it right. Because a lot of people, when they do this, they, they'll write a letter like this. I want you to know that you've offended me. But because of God's work, I'm letting you go. Please forgive me. Despite the horrendous nature of the offense, I am releasing it. Because I want my future. I mean, you know what? You just, you're, you're, using, you're using your forgiveness moment as an opportunity to beat him one more time. It doesn't count. That letter didn't count. And, and so you got to understand how to write this. And so I sat down, and again, I, I can't go through it because 
It's important for them to know, not for you to know all the details. But in the letter I just wrote down, I said, over the years, there were two instances that I laid hold of personally that I allowed to become an offense. I want to tell you clearly, you have done nothing wrong. You have done absolutely nothing wrong. It was me. It was me who out of issues saw that in a way that produced greater offense and hurt and woundedness. I want you to know that I'm asking for your forgiveness. I appreciate the opportunity you're giving me to put it under the light, to use this letter as an opportunity for the blood to come cleanse me. Again, I want to make it extremely clear. You are clean as a whistle. It was me. That's when you get healed. And that's when you get whole. You see, it's not about, I'm going to let God work on them. I need God to get me to a future. I'm not letting anything stop that future from coming. And maybe it may ask of you to, to write a kind letter. If you don't know how to write one, then make sure you ask someone so they can help you write an appropriate one. Maybe it's just something you need to keep to yourself because to be candid with you, they don't need to know anything about it anyway because it's all going on in you. But whatever it is, I'm going to encourage you tonight, if you don't pass the forgiveness test, you'll never get to your destiny. Would you stand with me? Amen. Holy Spirit, in these last moments that we have together here tonight, I'm asking that you would come and that you would work in all the hearts that are here. Lord, we're not trying to generate an issue that was put under the blood maybe years ago or encounters ago. Lord, we believe that your work is your work, and we stand and we rest in those things that you have accomplished. So, Lord, we're not, we're not picking an old wound or scab or we're not opening a door that we've long since closed but lord if we were honest there are folks here tonight that have issues of offense and bitterness that may be fresh and may be new they may only be a week old and they're being reminded again tonight that if they allow that to become a root of bitterness it will steal their inheritance lord tonight i pray that we would not make the mistake of an esau that we would not sell our birthrights for beggarly things, that we would not sell a birthright just to keep hold of a grudge that makes us feel good because we know we're right and they're wrong. Lord, help us tonight to do what the Master said, to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to give them our cloak also, to cast a blessing even upon them, not, not giving evil for evil, but, but a blessing because that is what you have called us to. And right now, here's what I want you to do. This is what we do at Encounter, and I'm going to do it for you one more time tonight. And if you've never been to an Encounter, this is just something we do. So just, just bear with us for just another maybe minute or two, and we're done. I want you to cup your hands in front of you right now. And I want you in that cupped hand just to begin to place whatever the person, the incident, the circumstance, whatever it may be that has brought great offense or bitterness into your heart. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to repeat after me. I want you to say, in Jesus' name, Lord, I place before you the situation, the person, the offense 
that has lodged in my heart. I acknowledge it now. It was an injustice, but my feelings have become my sin. I confess my sin. And now I lift it up to you. And you can just do it. Just lift it up to the Lord. I lift it up to you, Lord. And I choose by an act of my will to take my hands off. I release my grudge. I release the bitterness. I release the hurt. I release the power of that event. I refuse to allow it to steal my destiny. I loose it and I give it to you. And I believe you will deal rightly. Lord, heal my heart. Cleanse my spirit. I ask that the cross would make the waters of my heart sweet again. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. I receive it in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Can you say I love you, Lord, and give him a hand clap like that? Praise God. Amen and amen. All right, guys, now turn around and act like you love someone at least. Just do it in faith if you can't do it for real.